Lucha-Masks.com by Pro Wrestling Revolution. Bringing you, in partnership with Masked Republic, the Lucha Brothers, as well as Japanese legend Ultimo Dragon. Go to Lucha-Masks.com and fight Lucha Strong with masks from your favorite Lucha legends and Pro Wrestling Revolution luchadores. Stay safe in style and represent your favorite luchador. Get yours now at lucha-masks.com, powered by Pro Wrestling Revolution. You are listening to the Lucha Central Podcast Network. And now, luchacentral.com presents the business of the business. Hey everyone, this is the Business of the Business podcast, and I am Kevin Kleinrock, president of Masked Republic, and your host here for the journey inside how officially licensed merchandise for your favorite wrestlers, luchadors, maybe even bands, or other entertainment properties gets made. We are going to get right into part two of my interview with designer and illustrator Jeffrey Everett, also known as Rockets Are Red. In part one, we really focused on Jeff's background, his journey into becoming a professional graphic designer and illustrator, and the work that led him to where he is today, where he kind of has two different roles. One of those, which we spoke about last episode, is working for the National Institute of Health, where he puts his graphic design skills to use for creating posters that you may have even seen. For example, this month he's been working on social distancing posters, and he had a piece of Dr. Fauci that kind of went viral. But Outside of that, Jeff follows his passions, which are primarily punk rock, music, and pro wrestling. And he has created hundreds of posters and t-shirts and other officially licensed and just inspired by merchandise. And we're going to get into all of that here in this episode that really focuses on Jeff's work inside the pro wrestling merchandise business. So I hope you enjoy it. Please remember to subscribe to the show either directly in the Business of the Business podcast feed or find the Lucha Central podcast network feed and subscribe there to get all the network shows and then also leave us a rating and a review. And also you can email me directly at business of the business at maskedrepublic.com. I know it's kind of long, but business of the business at maskedrepublic.com. Send in your questions, send in the types of people that you would like to see interviewed on the show, and we will be reading all of those personally. So without any further ado, though, let's get into part two of my interview with Jeff Everett of Rockets Are Red. One of the things that your music posters, not all of them, but certainly some of them um, have had as part of them over the years has been this incorporation of wrestling, pro wrestling, whether it's wrestlers or wrestling themes. Um, And that kind of comes into a lot of people listening to this show. Um, So kind of take us a step back first before even the incorporation of wrestling themes into your music and other posters and and bring me to the beginning of your your wrestling fandom when did you kind of discover pro wrestling and when did you become a fan um and how did you remain a fan for all these decades um i actually missed out in probably the biggest wrestling boom of all time uh i was a big fan back in the 80s you know, I was the kid who was like, oh, my God, the big boss man kicked out of the perfect plex. Like, <laughs> I was that kid. You know, like everybody else, I loved Ultimate Warrior, you know, in, until you kind of learn what a scumbag he is. Um, you know, I, I loved all that stuff. And when I ended up going to college and when I ended up, you know, kind of being, I want to say transient, but like not 
having cable television uh, for about 10 years, I really, it just really dropped out. It was not something that I watched. It was not something that was really on my mind. Um, and so I didn't get back into wrestling probably until like 2002, which was after the invasion of, uh, you know, like the WCW, ECW, air quotes, mm -hmm. invasion of uh, WWFE at the time. Uh, and that's when I was like, when I was living in New York and I would walk to like the Virgin mega store and, you know, you would see like the ECW collections mm -hmm. or you'd see like the, you'd see like the bootleg collections of like wrestlers from like Mexico or whatever. And for me, it was seeing was the Rey Mysterio psychosis matches in ECW or seeing Sabu and Rob Van Dam and just being like, Oh my God, this is like nothing I've seen before. And it completely blew my mind. And with that, which was like opening the floodgates and it, you know, I, again, I was going to a super snooty, uh, design school where you know people are going to wine tastings and gallery openings and people are getting jobs at like kate spade and so being into wrestling and being into you know learning about the lucha culture and all that was really kind of shit on you know it was really seen as like oh my god i can't believe you like that stuff <laughs> which really just it, it just propagated that punk rock you man i'm going to be into the you know it totally uh, you, brought you, me back you give me flashbacks uh, to like being in 11th grade and being that kid in school uh with the wrestling magazines and having people you know laugh and then going to my 10 year high school reunion and being like i just signed a wrestling show to mtv so take that Oh, are you are you having that like me where I'm finding out that people I went to high school with are like really boring now and I'm like still going out and like going to punk shows and traveling to Vegas to to hang out with Vampiro and Rey Mysterio and everybody else is like miserable and they have Karen haircuts. Cause like that is happening to me a lot now and it feels so good. And just like on a very, on a very, and I will admit this very petty level. You just like, you're all have, you're all are having boring sex and watching horrible movies and you no longer care about what you look like or what you're doing. Oh my God. I, I have, I'm like living every high school rom-com revenge flick from like the 80s you know it's like oh he, i mean i still wear my glasses but it's like you know you take off the glasses and the, and the girl looks pretty it's like all of those you're like oh yeah. it's happened it's happened yeah, I, um, I don't know if my experience is quite that but like it, it did it did feel good to you know uh, I mean, like I was always the nerd in high school, but I was like the nerd in the cool kid group. That that was my role always, you know, growing up, um, you know, the the kid that loved wrestling, but he was in the cool kid group, and only the cool kids can make fun of him because he was part of the clique, you know. Um, and so but, it, you know, I think it just it it felt really good to just see that people realize that, oh, he did make something out of that you know and i think that uh you know seeing your success in in the music space um you know maybe some of those snooty fine art students and the kid that white throw up on his shirt would be like oh damn i, I should have gone that route <laughs> well there, there's a certain amount of like i i never there's two things one i always wanted to make enough money to get by and especially when you have kids which I mm -hmm. do, you always want to make sure that they're taken care of and that they are protected. And there's another part of me where I just don't want to be doing a job just to get by to, you know, pay off that next credit card 
where I go to work every day and I'm miserable. I mean, I'm miserable for other reasons, but you know, uh, it's, it's not because of like choices I've made. And so it's fun, you know, to, to be around people such as yourself, to have friends who are like, I'm making a, you know, a board game all about getting killed by famous, you know, horror movie monsters and to have people at my age, you know, as I'm getting closer to, you know, I'm 43 who are still just like fucking excited about shit and still geek out and still like yell at the TV screen and, Mm -hmm. and all of that, um, I think is an accomplishment in life because I, I meet so many people my age who are just boring and just are waiting around to die. And I don't know, man, that just seems like not a fun way to live. You know, like I, I'm excited to be like, what's the next thing I'm doing? You know, what crazy shit is Kevin going to get me into now? (laughs) Um, and, and, And that's, and that's exciting, you know, cause like, you know, you look on Facebook and you just see like the, the person is like, I'm on my fifth bottle of wine today. You're like, ah, oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad we didn't stay in touch after high school. <laughs> so, so tell me about starting to work the, the wrestling into those music posters. And when you're doing that, is it normally bands that you already know have a, you know, a, a, passion for wrestling is it you know you're you're in corp of austin into a poster and hoping that the band's like oh that's cool or or how does that process kind of take place and jeff is going to answer that question as we get into his world incorporating pro wrestling into the posters he does for music groups and then gets into his work with master public on creating lucha libre merchandise and wwe we walk through a number of WWE posters that Jeff has created over time, as well as talking about some of his other mainstream official posters and the differences between creating official works, unofficial works, and it might surprise you which ones he finds actually more fun to create. All of that in a moment, but right now, let's head over to Lucha Central Central and Denise Salcedo. Hey everyone, it's Denise Salcedo here in Lucha Central Central with a look at all the great shows available this week on the Lucha Central Podcast Network where you can find each show on its own or subscribe to the Lucha Central Podcast Network for every show in one easy feed. Just like the last two Mondays, this week we bring you the debut of one more monthly series. This one called The Business of the Business. Hosted by multi-decade wrestling writer, producer, promoter, and current Mass Republic president, Kevin Kleinrock. The series will take listeners into the inner workings of how officially licensed merchandise is made. This week on the show, graphic designer and illustrator Jeffrey Everett, who's created works for everyone from Seth Rollins to Rollins Band and from Pentacero M to The Pope. Yes, The Pope. This is a series you are not going to want to miss. Tuesday's Mats, Mask, and Mayhem takes you back inside the temple as they get inside Lucha Underground Episode 3. If you're in the United States, you can head to Tubi.tv where you can watch each episode of the series in advance to each week's MMM show. Don't miss the insider perspective from those who were there on set as the very first season unfolded. Thursday and Friday, we have you covered in both English and Spanish. First up, on Straight Out of the Bodega, Papo Esco, Gabriel Ramirez, and Kevin Kleinrock continue their conversation on a number of California scenes, wrestling promotions, and businesses. And on La Mesa de los Margaros, CMLL luchador, member of the legendary Casas family, son of Felino, Tiger Casas pulls up a seat around the table. On Friday, 
The Lucha Central Podcast Network brings you Lucha Central Weekly and Lucha Central Weekly en Español. Get all the latest updates from Mexico and the most newsworthy notes on luchadores across the globe, including a look at what went down at AEW Double or Nothing and the latest on Triple A's plans to resume shows. Be sure to subscribe and follow all your favorite Lucha Central Network series on your favorite favorite podcast platforms and please be sure to give a rating and review to help more fans find the shows that you love for now this is denise salcedo signing off from lucha central central have a great week um well i'll start with the, the austin one i i uh, did a poster for a band called idols who are their next album they're going to be fucking huge uh, they're already really big in Europe, and you know I got to see them tour the U.S. Uh, when they first started out, and they were awesome. But they have a line that says, uh, "I'm like Stone Cold Steve Austin. I put homophobes in coffins." Which I mean, what a great line! And Tremendous. then they have another, they have another line, same song, and it, it and it's, uh, "I'm like Ted DiBiase." I win no matter what it costs me. And so like when you're doing posters, it's like, who doesn't want to draw the million dollar man or who doesn't want to draw, you know, Steve Austin all in pink, you know, who doesn't want to do those things. And it's taking, it's taking those symbols and twisting them to bring something more to it. And my picture of Austin, it's not just him, looking like a badass, which he is, it's, you know, I put like a little pink triangle on him. I have him holding a shovel, you know, the colors are all various forms of pink. And so it's taking Austin who on TV, he comes off as like the man's man, you know, the, I'm going to kick everyone's ass and, you know, you have to be manly and rah, 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 rah. And then when you listen to him on his podcast, you know, he's all for gay rights. He's all for, you know, two men being married or two women being married. He doesn't give a fuck. And he's very open about that. And so for these posters, it was like playing off of like the the person on TV and the person really as they are. Like with Ted DiBiase, you know, he played the horrible millionaire on TV but in real life, you know, he's a preacher and he's a, a philanthropist. And so I really loved those. I really loved um, the, the juxtaposition of those. And it makes me laugh because they are really kind of stupid posters. I mean, they're fun, but like they're a total just like punk rock. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's one, one step up from like photocopying. Uh, picture of Austin uh, from from a uh, from a magazine and just writing like you on it or something, and they ended up like winning that series ended up winning like this huge design award down here, and it just makes me like cackle thinking that these are going to be hung up next to like something from the Smithsonian that's like really serious and beautiful. There's going to be like my you know my punk rock poster next to it you know, bringing down the value of everybody else's work. Um, well, but then like, I'll, I'll do work for like Rancid where Lars is a huge fan of wrestling. I mean, you know, like he'll talk about how pissed he is to this day that CM Punk didn't use a Rancid song in his, in his documentary that he did or like the bouncing souls is the same way. Like, you know, Punk, CM Punk was like really outspoken about his love of uh, punk bands. So like whenever I got to do work for like Rancid, um, I did one poster for Rancid where um, I put on a CM Punk patch onto like the woman. The, there's a woman wrapping her hands up like she's about to get into a fight, and there she's wearing a leather coat, and there's a CM Punk uh, Best in the World patch that she's wearing. Um, I did another one. For Rancid, which again is another woman is about to get into a fight. I don't know what that says about me. They were done like <laughs> seven years apart. And she's wearing like all this wrestling gear as well. 
and I based her off of Rhea Ripley. Um, not enough that I could get sued, but like, you know, it definitely has a Rhea Ripley, Tony Storm vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And I do those things, honestly, like just to humor myself. And I fully believe like people will pick up on those signals and appreciate the poster more. And if they just see the poster, they'll be like, oh, that's cool. But if you, you know, it's like with punk, if you know, you know, mm-hmm. and, 100%. And, and you'll go, ah, you know, this gets it. You know, he, he put in the best in the world patch or, you know, things like that. Or he did like the road warrior spikes or something like that. So, you know, it, it's just more doing stuff to entertain myself and really hoping that other people will appreciate it. Well, so let's take a step back though, because, you know, this podcast yeah in and of itself will be about intellectual property and official intellectual property and the, the thin line sometimes between official unofficial. Um, so obviously, you know, as, as we talked about this for these particular pieces, now we'll talk about some of the other pieces coming up, but for these particular pieces, you know, this wasn't something that Steve Austin was a part of, or Ted DiBiase was a part of, or CM Punk, you know, was, was approving the use of his, his, uh, you know, his logo or whatever, his patch. Now, this is art. This is transformative. So kind of, you know, walk us through a little bit of, in your mind, how you approach these things and how you look at, you know, what can I get away with that is going to not get me or the band in trouble? Uh, you know, is that just completely anything goes because it's art concerns or, or considerations that you have? Are there certain people that there are rumors like, ooh, we'd better not mess with this guy's likeness because he's known for suing everyone but kind of walk us through a little bit of your thought process when it comes to you know what you can and can't do so for the idols ones which were very much like here's austin or here's dibiase they were used as a form of social commentary and with doing that there becomes like a fair use um, law that applies where you're making a larger commentary therefore you can use it. It wasn't just here's Steve Austin selling something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's where like something like that you can kind of script the lines. For me, I mean it's it's very much a like Shepard Fairey using Andre the Giant, sure. where, and granted, he got the shit suit out of him for that one, but he got the shit suit out of him because after a while, it became so big that it was just begging for him to be sued. You know, when you work kind of, you know, below the lines, you can kind of escape notice sometimes. But like, I've done... I've done licensed work for WWE and the amount of oversight on those makes those pieces almost not fun anymore because you're dealing with a lot of egos. You're dealing with a lot of likeness rights. How do people want to be portrayed? How do people want to be, shown to a larger world instances like that that gets very tricky um for example i did i did a poster that was officially licensed of the heenan family and rick flair was on there and i had him doing like the woo kind of look and wwe was like no you can't do that and i was like why not like that's what he's known for he's known for the woo and they're like, no, he just wants to be seen as respectable, as like, you know, the rich guy. So I had to do basically a version of him in a suit. And like, nobody wanted that. And <laughs> at that point, it, it was like, I just want to get this done. And, and so that's what ended up going on to the piece. And it was a lot of, you know, I think I had like the brain busters on the poster and that had to get taken off there was like i think i i think at some point i had like 
15 or 16 different wrestlers that I had to take off because of all the, the rights and the likenesses and things like that. And so when you have that type of corporate structure, it really kind of kills all the fun and all the playfulness um, out of it. Now you take somebody like um, Urban Aztec, Jesse like rocks at what he does. And he got all this amazing artwork approved. And I just kind of stand back in awe and go like, shit, man, why couldn't I have done that? You know, <laughs> well, and, he just, I, and he just, and he just makes it look awesome. Well, I, I can tell you though, and we will definitely have uh, Jesse on a future episode, but he, there are certainly um, WWE related pieces that he has pitched that he has not been able to uh, do, uh, whether it was because the artist, you know, or the, the wrestler didn't want to be part of that series or whether it was whatever else. So um, we'll definitely, we'll definitely have him on and, and talk about that. But yeah, he's, he's killing it right now, especially with these uh, foot action collaborations that he's doing. Um, I have the Heenan poster right here. So despite the fact that Flair is in a suit, uh, it's still a very, very cool poster. And uh, we'll definitely let people know at the end of the show, you know, where they can try to find some of your works if they're still available. Um, so, so I guess, yeah, I'm kind of going a little bit out of order, but let's, let's talk about, um, let's talk about the, I guess the difference now between this kind of unofficial or inspired by work, like putting Austin in a transformative nature on uh, on an idol's poster and the work that you've done that is official and is licensed. Um, not, not just for WWE, but for example, you have a really good relationship with gallery 1988 in Los Angeles and you do a lot mm -hmm. of their art shows. Um, I've got a number of, really cool pieces of yours here, including a GI Joe one for Cobra vehicles that you did through them. You've done uh, glow posters. You've done the WWE posters for Chris Jericho and, and Seth Rollins. So walk us a little bit more through that kind of process of now there are certain times that you are doing official. Um, I guess, first off, I guess let me ask official work that happens and comes gallery and official work that happens and comes through some other third party or direct um where are you kind of getting those official gigs so to speak from and, and how does that kind of break down with your your work these days i'm lucky enough that at this point in my career people just come to me um which is really nice i also no longer will do just any project that's given to me for a lot of years people would call up and be like or I had a business manager, which was an awful experience. They'd say things like, oh, Variety wants you to do a picture for their magazine. You need to do it. And it's like $300. And like you spent all this time on it. And it just looks horrible at the end. Um, when it comes to licensed work, there are times when like Gallery 1988 will say, um, Bob's Burgers is having a Bob's Burgers special gallery show. You are invited to do it. You have to send in sketches. You have to get approvals, but it is like an official show. And they did that, I think, twice with WWE. They had official WWE shows, uh, and that was a nightmare. I ended up um, doing a piece on on Seth Rollins and I like the piece, but a lot of the stuff that I wanted to throw in there because of the character change, they, they didn't want to show on the poster. So like, um, the, the, the piece features like Seth Rollins standing or like from the chest up with like a, with like a kind of a castle burning underneath him. And a total inside design joke, the castle is done in like a brutalist architectural style. And I thought that was hilarious that, you know, brutalist, um, which like nobody picks up on except like <laughs> architecture nerds. Was like, get it? Brutalist? Wrestling? Brut okay. And so it originally had... Uh, it. I wanted to use like his nicknames, like the architect which is where the, the building comes into. And then I wanted to use Kingslayer on there. And they're like, yeah, you can't use either one of those. And I was like, oh, well, it kind of ruins the, the point of the piece the way I would have worked it in. 
and, and so it just, you know, like something like that, it's like you have all of these really great ideas and they kind of just get chipped away. So it becomes a lot harder to do and a lot harder to have fun with. Um, a lot of these things, be it music or wrestling, it's not just enough to put someone's name onto something and have it sell. There, because it, there's just so much shit out there that has someone's name on it, you know? Sure. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be selling a product for 40 or $50, there needs to be something more to it. It needs to signal to the fans who are real fans in a way that the other pieces just don't. And so I think a lot of times these companies are so controlling, they take away those edges and just kind of make everything smooth and sanitary that they're not as compelling anymore. Um, I did a piece for Chris Jericho uh, and it just says like, raw, this is just raw as Jericho. And that one went over rather well because it doesn't show him in it at all besides just a little silhouette. Mm -hmm. And so Which there was nothing famous, that famous pose from his debut. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we were, we were highlighting. Like we released it like 20 years or whatever after he, after he debuted or 10 years or whatever. Um, and it, and so it was more about like the feeling, like we did something, we had like the Titan Tron, and he was probably only like an inch big or something. It was just this idea of like this huge spectacle. And we did it on like foil paper. Um, I mean, I made like nothing on this, but it's a really cool piece. And, you know, people who got it, got it. Uh, and they appreciated it. But um, I wanted to do one for Mick Foley winning the championship. Uh, and Mick Foley has been somebody who I have adored for years. And, and, and I find a lot of inspiration in, in him. And we kept trying to do it. They kept saying, like, it doesn't look like Foley. And I was like, he's wearing a goddamn mask. Like, do you want me to take the mask off? No, we just want to, they'd say shit like, we just want to see a little bit more of a sparkle in his eyes. And you'd be like, well, what the fuck does that mean? You know? <laughs> and, and so like, so like shit like that never got approved. Um, and it was frustrating because a few years before that, I did a spoof poster of, uh, I made it look like, I made a picture of him falling off the hell in the cell cage. And it had like the undertaker in the background. It was like one of my first posters. It, it you know, the, I look back and cringe, but like the illustration was meant to look like an old sci-fi poster from the fifties. And it said like, it was something like the day mankind fell mm -hmm. and it had a picture of him like falling, like ah, out of the heavens with like the undertaker kind of behind him all dark and foreboding. And it doesn't look like him at all, but people loved it because it took these old types of posters and put fully into a new context mm -hmm. and it played up the whole mankind, you know, mankind um, joke that they'd always, he would always say in his promos. And so when you start doing a lot of official work, those inside jokes, those inside feelings that you get you just can't do them and it's a it's a real disappointment um you know having those things taken away from you because those are the things that get you really excited as a designer i mean if if you're not getting to put your little touches in onto these pieces well then it's just another it's just another piece that you're doing and it could be a wrestler or it could be axel rose or whitney houston it doesn't matter it's just another piece you're trying to grind to, you know, grind through to go do something else that's more fun. Well, and I think too, you know, there, there is that balance between, 
And, I, and I, honestly, I think this is where WWE goes wrong a lot with their official like, like the official WWE shirts that are on WWE's shop online. So many of them are so poorly designed. And you go over to PWTs and the variety of art and style for all the, the wrestlers there is so much greater in general than what I think you find on WWE shop. Um, and it, I think it is part of that. It's, you know, it's, it's everything for WWE shop has to be so clean and so, so uh, I don't know, bland almost. Um, and I think that, you know, it, there's a difference between hiring somebody that knows nothing about wrestling and might just be a cool designer and saying, Hey, can you make something for Seth Rollins? And having them come up with something that that's, you know, nice and, and clean, as opposed to when you have someone who actually understands the character, knows the character, is a fan of the character, to be able to put those elements in there, just like your rancid poster and the CM Punk patch, right? I am much more likely as a consumer myself and as a fan of wrestling and as a fan of, of some of these performers, I am much more likely to purchase a poster or a t-shirt or some form of merchandise if i do see those little nods to his past or to little things that maybe the other person doesn't get but i know that i get and i think that by by keeping that removed from some of these these pieces i think they do probably not necessarily minimize but they diminish the potential audience for it because it does become a kind of purely commercial work as opposed to a both commercial and kind of cool wink and nod to the you know the the hardcore fan who's been with that person and who's followed that person and you know and i for me too like i can tell in an artist's work are they truly a long time dedicated you know fan of this person or are they just potentially some illustrator that got you know shown a picture and told hey make this you know make this work um and so yeah i think that i guess with, with that let's kind of talk for a moment about the work that you've done with us, with Master Public, um, we've been, I, I don't even know where to start. We've been really honored to get to work with you uh, on so many pieces over the years. Uh, I think the first thing that we ever collaborated on, and you can absolutely correct me if I'm wrong, but you did a, a portrait of Penta, and, and this was back in the time where he was Pentagon Jr., but the Pentagon Jr. was uh, under under trademark from, from AAA and he was trying to break out onto his own as, as Penta and then Penta Zero M. And so we came up with a, uh, a poster that was going to illustrate him, but we also had to go and we changed the symbol in the middle of his forehead to a unique symbol. We put that on a t-shirt. Um, was it the very first thing that we collaborated on? It was, I think that was it. Um, I remember I also did one for Pero Aguayo, right? So, uh, when so, he passed away, so those but came I out can't... at the same time, I think, because we released those okay. both at, at La Buya, uh, Antonio Palau's event uh, in Los Angeles, and we debuted, I think, the Penta poster and shirt, and that was also the the, the really nice tribute piece that you did for um, for Hijo de Pero Aguayo. Both of those shirts, by the way available at prowrestlingtees.com slash masterpublic for those that want to go check that out. And we'll, we'll put the link in the, in the uh, bio for the show. Um, but, uh, and, we, and you also did one of the early covers of our Rudo Can't Fail zine, which was a tribute to the 20th anniversary of Rey Mysterio and Psychosis coming to the ECW arena and really blowing people's minds with the Lucha Libre style of wrestling. And then we made a poster version of that. Um, so I guess, you know, when I contacted you the first time and said, hey, um, we don't really have a lot of money, but we have some cool stuff uh, and a sandbox for you to play in. Uh, and really, honestly, our, our pitch for a lot of artists, um, yourself, Urban Aztec, Pale Horse, was, listen, we as a company, you know, don't have thousands of dollars to pay a, a license fee for a piece of art, but what we can give you is royalties, which you don't normally get on a poster or a t-shirt. Um, you're normally doing work for hire and that's it. And, you know, uh, we kind of made this, this semi sweat equity pitch to some of the artists that we really love and said, you know, look, if we can build something together, let's build something. And thank goodness uh, you took us up on our offer. So I guess what, what in the first place, if you remember, made you say, 
yeah, let's 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 do some more Lucha Libre stuff and let's get in bed with this company I know nothing about, uh, you know, five years ago. Well, I think some of it had to do with with well with you. I think one you you have a good name. I mean, everybody I know who has met you, I'd say at least ninety five percent of them have said nothing but really good things about you and the other five percent yeah i'd say if you say 100 i know you're lying yeah like 95 percent of them at least were saying good things about you and people i knew said that you were a good guy and so that that means a lot i also and this sounds weird i knew that you had kids and so i figured you could be trusted uh in the way that you spoke about your kids when I would talk to you meant a lot. Um, I think also what made me, I get offers all the time to do work for people for little to no money. And you always hear like the, oh, when this website breaks big or when this blows up, we'll give you a percent and da, 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 da. And that usually to me means that you're gonna get ripped off. But with you, one, you have a, gr- a, a great track record uh, with being honest, but you're also enthusiastic. And that means a lot to me when people are not just saying like, oh, I have this idea, but I want you to do all the work. You instead were like, I want you to do this. And while you do this, I'll do that. And especially like I said, when you get to a certain age, you know, like when you're, when you're 21, everyone's excited about everything. Hopefully (laughs) when you're 40 ish and you're still excited about stuff that, that means a lot. And for me, so you had that enthusiasm and you had that trustworthiness that I appreciated, but it's also just something new, you know, man, like, as much as I love the music industry, like after a while, you're like, I just, I just fucking need to do something different. You know, I can't keep drawing posters of sad people in sad places, you know, talking about how, you know, Marianne left and now I'm heartbroken and sleeping on the beach, you know, like I need, you know, I want to draw someone getting punched in the face or doing, you know, uh, doing Frankensteiners and all that stuff. And so it was just something different. And what I appreciated about doing something different is that as much as I love wrestling, there's a really poor aesthetic that comes with it. Um, You know, like I'll work with, you know, Penta or I'll work with like um, Dalton Castle, both world champions, by the way. Yes. And, I'll say, like, I'll say to you and I'll say to Dalton, I'm like, your work needs to look like a really cool rock and roll shirt. That if you don't know the context of who or what this is, you still know that this is going to be pretty cool. You know, um, yeah. there's, a, there's a designer uh, named Peter Seville who did work for um, his most famous piece is the one for joy division where it's the the graph mm-hmm. that has all the spiky lines to it yeah it's and been, it's he's been other... so many times yeah yeah yes and he said in his book which you know anyone who wants to be a designer should go and read he says if you like the design you should like the band and the and the design should reflect the the spirit of the band and i've always felt that way with wrestlers like you know, you're not, you don't want to do a, a piece of, on Penta that's all sunshine and flowers. You know, you want mm-hmm. it to look a certain way, but you want it to look a certain way and have it look professional, you know? And like with Dalton, who is amazing, um, his work, you know, I want, with somebody like him, I wanted it to look as great as he is. And the stuff I did for Mass Republic, you know, I, I, have consistently said through like Expo Lucha and stuff. I was like, I want to take 
this work, which usually is looked down upon and bring it to a level where it's considered art. And again, like I'm laughing hysterically because I submitted all the work for Expo Lucha that I've done uh, into these design competitions and like they've won. And it just makes me like laugh hysterically inside. They're like a dude, like a luchador in a low rider with all this beautiful floral pattern behind him and all these bright colors it is considered, you know, some of the best design in America. And I, and I think that's where you and I coalesced really well, where you would give me these subjects and then really let me have fun with them and elevate them. And you were just like, all right, dude, I trust you to not f this up too much. Uh, <laughs> and, and we would just create really cool things together. And there has to be a point in your professional career where you just say like, I need to do fun things again and you need to be inspired and you need to have that, you know, lust for life and lust for, you know, passion for art and all that to get reignited and doing work for mass Republic has really done that. I mean, yeah, you've also given me some things like here's a PowerPoint project. Can you make sure it doesn't <laughs> look like garbage? But for the most part, it's been like really fun things. And anyone who thinks that you're going to get rich doing work for, you know, masked wrestlers, I mean, is deluded. I mean, seeing, I've seen people get really pissy over really small things. And you're like, dude, it's a hundred bucks. Like, I'll, I'll just give you a hundred dollars to shut you the f up. Because we're just trying to create something awesome here, um, and like that's what we've been able to do is create some really, yeah, I, some really awesome stuff. Yeah, and I think that you know, from from my perspective, and and Ruben Zamora, who's uh, my business partner in Master Public, he was Master Public before I came on board uh, ten years ago. Now, you know, our our you know, we we both grew up um, or came up through you know, loving punk rock music, loving the kind of SoCal uh, you know surf and skate culture. And, you know, we love working with artists and designers who can bring an element and a vision for Lucha Libre, for our products from kind of an outside perspective, especially when they themselves kind of have those roots in, you know, let's do something that, and by punk rock, I don't mean, you know, I think, you know, people who don't know punk rock or don't know the punk rock art scene or, or understand kind of that world, it might kind of come off it's kind of confusing um you know oh this doesn't look you know dirty or or you, you can read this font what do they mean by punk rock but i just think there's a there is a a kind of and there is a um a style that really just feels oh god counterculture is not the way to put it but it it, it feels like we've taken lucha libre and i think that the the only real ways in the past that lucha libre has been presented in my mind is either as kind of the old, old school, which I still love and have a passion for kind of um, uh, printed posters that have the tricolor to them, you know, kind of like old school boxing and wrestling posters. And then on the flip side of it, you've got, you know, a lot of times somebody will say, I'm going to get into the Lucha Libre business and I'm going to, you know, take my background either as a concert promoter or as a this or a that. And I, I, I think I could figure out the world of Lucha Libre. And then they'll go and they'll hire a design firm. And maybe this design firm has, you know, amazing background or history. And I remember, um, you know, going to uh, Lucha Underground tapings and seeing some of the Lucha Underground merchandise and just being like, man, I don't feel this as a fan, as a consumer. And, you know, they were so proud that they had, you know, award-winning illustrator artists um, you know, working on this product and not to say that the imagery in and of itself was, it was bad imagery, but I just don't really feel like it connected so much to the audience or the fan base. I think that if you took somebody from outside of wrestling fandom, uh, you know, just your, your typical, um, you know, American consumer or, or pop culture fan or uh, hipster and showed them the image, they'd be like, Oh yeah, totally rad. This is cool. Yeah. You Lucha Libre. But it was missing the element of also still connecting to the fan. And I think that that's what, 
you know, at least from our perspective, it's been so great to work with you on so many, is it combines all of those elements, right? You've got the, the person that understands the, the Lucha Libre at its core. You've got the element of uh, something artistic that's different than all the other Lucha Libre stuff out there, yet it's, it still resonates and doesn't offend the senses of the Lucha Libre fan. I think, you know, like we, we, when you were talking about the Expo Lucha poster, right? We, that year uh, for Las Vegas, we had you do a poster and Urban Aztec do a poster and Pale Horse do a poster. And your poster was this, this one that just won an award of Lowrider and a guy in the Expo Lucha, Master Public Lucha mask sitting in the car. And it, it felt good and it didn't feel like it was um, a mockery, but it was super cool and super hip. Um, and it kind of hit everybody's wants and desires, I guess. and um, you know, it's been great to kind of transition. Now we have you doing all of the art for Expo Lucha. Um, unfortunately, due to COVID, uh, we, we had to postpone this year's Expo Lucha that was going to take place this August in Philadelphia. And we have transitioned it to uh, next June in Philadelphia. But um, you know, now we get to go back and rework all these amazing pieces of, of art that, that we've released now for that. And also the ones that we have in the works with you. But um, yeah, it's it's been... I think that, you know, from a, from a company owner, from the person hiring an artist perspective, um, it's really, it's rare to find that, that designer that can kind of bring both, uh, personal experience and knowledge plus the, the skills. Um, and it, it's led to a lot of great pieces, I think, um, that we've been able to do together. Uh, there's a number of t-shirts that we've done, number of posters that we've done, um, you know, even this never-ending uh, PowerPoint project that we still have to finish. And uh, so it's been great. We're going to, I'll put up a number of links, um, people that want to see some of the work. Um, I was going to say, uh, as we wrap this up, so the design process, you know, you, you just talked about it being rather difficult when you're having to deal necessarily with, say, WWE um, or, or somebody that's managing somebody else's image. Um, talk real, real quick for me through some of the non-real life person, but controlled IP that you've done before, uh, whether it was a GI Joe or some of the other things where there's had to be an approval process, but it hasn't involved a living, breathing human being. And do you find a real difference in those kind of approval processes? Or is it more like if somebody controls the IP, it doesn't matter if it's a living, breathing person or, you know, a, a made up superhero, it's all the same. So I got asked to do a poster along with five or six other people for the movie It, chapter one, when it came out however many years ago. And there was a lot of buzz going about this movie. I had ended up doing a poster for a Stephen King show uh, based on the, the book Christine. And I ended up doing this like really weird kind of like rock and roll tattoo vibe of, uh, of, of the, um, like the fury. That's the name of, that's the type of car. Uh, it's called a, a fury. And so I did this really cool poster. Stephen King saw it. Stephen King liked it. Stephen King wanted me, or at least wanted air quotes. And was like, yeah, let's have this guy do a, a poster. Um, and at the time, a lot of my work was very, and still is very architectural. And so I wanted to do a picture of a very specific house. Now, when they gave me all of the work, uh, all, all, you know, they gave me like film stills. They gave me a PDF of like all these really cool pieces, which were not in the movie. Uh, which were too bad, um, I was able to start doing work on it. And I remember I did all of the work and I had all seven of the, of the kids who were in the losers club out front. Now the movie has come out a lot, you know, four or five years. And this is spoiled for you. That's your own damn fault. Um, and so there were seven kids and, and, the production person that we had to get approval for was like, no, um, it's not seven, it's six. And I'm like, no, it's clearly seven kids. Like, you know, he, 
And the production person was like, I can't tell you why it's six, but it's only six. And I was like, okay, well, do you know who I should take out? And they're like, nope, we can't tell you anything. They didn't want spoilers <laughs> to be released. Oh, man. And so I end up, I end up taking out uh, one of the kids, because I drew them specifically. I end up taking out one of the kids who I know in the chapter two, again, spoilers, killed himself. And so I purposely took that child out. And the 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 poster was released they released the poster at all of the arclight cinemas across america and it ended up becoming like an animated poster um so it's the it's the leper house with the six kids in front and on and on top there's a little uh, balloon that's just kind of floating up hmm. and there were a lot of restrictions on what i could and could not show I specifically was told I cannot show Pennywise. I was specifically told I cannot um, show any likenesses whatsoever um, of any of the actors or actresses. And so I did a lot of like silhouettes and things like that. I was told uh, I couldn't put the word it on the poster. So it's a real kind of vibe piece. Like if you see the movie, you know what's going on. It has a haunting feel to it. It references the movie without referencing directly the movie. And, and they're doing this because they were going to be showing these pieces before people saw the movie. So it had to be absolutely spoiler-free. Now, there were people that did versions of Pennywise, but even then, they only did versions that were already released in trailers and stuff like that. So the problem is, afterwards, the movie comes out, three or four months later, everybody starts doing fan art. And they start doing the leper house. They start, you know, we're going to put Pennywise in the window, or we're going to put Pennywise in the sky, or we're going to do this and this and this and this. And I started getting, like, hate mail from people uh, being like, did you notice that they only put six kids in there? Don't you know it's seven? <laughs> you're doing it. You're doing it. dishonor to the legacy of Stephen King and blah, 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 blah. and like, isn't this other one that somebody else did so much better? And I think after the first one, I just did a. I, I would just copy my response and then send it back to people. Of <laughs> when you're doing fan art, which you know I do fan art all the time. You know any type of like sometimes when you're just doing gallery shows you're just doing fan art but when you're doing fan art you can do whatever you want um and that's usually the blessing and the curse of doing you know the alternative movie posters and things like that is that you can do whatever because you don't have a production person saying yes you can do this no you can't do that um you don't have someone you have someone looking out for the betterment of the movie and the movie company and the millions of dollars that they've spent who are trying to make it so that this poster won't piss anybody off um, who might be their boss or might be a star or anything like that. And when you're doing fan art, again, you can do whatever you want. So you can, you can explore areas that have not, been explored in the other posters which is why people usually like the fan art ones so much more than the ones that are official so i mean i totally i totally get that um i end up doing a uh, steel case blu-ray cover for uh zombie land mm -hmm. and i was told specifically i cannot show any actors on the cover. I cannot show any locations on the cover that are specific. Um, I couldn't show zombies. And right. I kind of went, I went, well, what the fuck else is there to show then? And so I took great pleasure in doing something. I ended up doing um, a Ferris wheel. I think it was a Ferris wheel. No, Ferris, uh, yeah, Ferris wheel. And I ended up making it look like a skull, like an abstract skull. And then underneath it, I did silhouettes of zombies. 
So there's no detail. And I did a silhouette of Woody Harrelson shooting all of them. And so I was able with all these restrictions to solve this very complex problem. And of course, you know, people, you know, started doing all these amazing fan art versions and were writing me being like, Oh, you suck. You should have done it like this instead. And I look at it and I go, yeah, but every single rule that was given to me, you broke. So, you know, uh, and so that's, that's where like the difficulty between licensed and unlicensed really kicks in. Uh, cause you have so much more property, so much more, uh, things to consider that it really is a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Well, Jeff, this has been great, uh, educational and enjoyable for myself. Um, real quick, uh, last question, and then please let everybody know where to find you and where to find your works and where to try to purchase some of your posters if they are interested in doing so. Uh, I have a number of images just on my personal Facebook page, and I know that people were, you know, jumping at some of the G.I. Joe, and uh, we didn't even get into your um, Empire Records uh, posters that have become quite quite popular and famous. Uh, your comedian posters, we might have to have you back on down the road, talk about your work with Patton Oswalt and uh, other comedians. But um, overall, I know this is probably like picking a favorite child um, or a favorite child tattoo, but what are a few of just your most favorite pieces that you've done, not just wrestling, but any of the pieces that you've done um, this point so that people, if nothing more can kind of Google Jeff Everett and these pieces and, and find them. Oh man. Um, that is really hard. I don't know. I always, when people ask me what my favorite pieces, um, I, I always say like whatever I got done last yep. because I'm usually always, I'm usually always looking forward. Um, I've done work for the Gaslight Anthem. Uh, I've done work for Frank Turner. I've done work for Lou Reed. Uh, I've done work for the Decemberists. The Gaslight Anthem poster that says um, it's based on a song called the Patient, uh, the Patient Ferris Wheel. We did that after I believe Hurricane Katrina hit New York. And we ended up raising like $55,000 for charity based on oh, that wow. image. So that would probably be one of my favorites. I mean, that's going to be the one where like it, when I'm dead, like people will show that one um, if they show any at all. Uh, so that's probably the one I'm most known for. Uh, people have gotten it tattooed on themselves, which is really weird. Um, <laughs> and then, God, what else have I done? I'm just like, I have a folder open right now of just half of my posters and there's 377 of them Wow. of poster, poster images. And I know that's not even complete. That's only for the last five years. So yeah, I've done a lot of work. All right. Well, so I will I, share. I'll say, I will say my favorite poster is the Lucha Swami that I did for Lucha Bowl. How about that? <laughs> How about that? Well, uh, I was trying to point people to things they could actually purchase viewers right now. I don't think that one's available, but um, we will. Uh, I will share again in the in the show notes here um, links to see at least some of the work that Jeff has done with us for Master Public official shirts for uh, Penta Zero M, uh, uh, Hijo del Perro Guayo, and others. And then, yeah, definitely, you know, keep an eye on our Expo Lucha um events that we do around the country and the awesome art that jeff does for that jeff thank you so much for being on this first episode or first two episodes as it may end up now uh where can people find you on social media website etc i am on instagram at rockets are red um i am online at rockets hyphen r hyphen red.com and I'm at, my store is rocketsareredcartel.com. That's right. Uh, just Google Rockets Are Red. If something for the Houston Rockets don't pop up, it's probably me. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, or just link on. I mean, Kevin's friends with everybody who's probably listening to this. So just go to his page and find me there. I'm hoping to build a diverse audience, but I'll take that at first. 
And that concludes our very first episodes of the Business of the Business podcast. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us on this journey. It was great to have Jeff Everett as our first guest, and I want to thank you very much, Jeff, for joining me. And I hope that you will join us again on this monthly program. So it will be about three to four weeks before I join you again. And we will continue to bring a whole different look inside the business of creating officially licensed merchandise. We will have news for you coming up on the Lucha Central social media about who my next guest will be. I've got a list of about a dozen that I am uh, looking forward to talking to right off the bat. And it's just a matter of how quickly we can get these all recorded and released. But in the meantime, please be sure to check out the Lucha Central Podcast Network. You can check out all of the individual shows. Head over to luchacentral.com. Check out the podcast section and learn about each show individually. And then head to your favorite podcast platform and pick and choose what you want to subscribe to and follow. Or we've made it easy if you want to get all of the shows in just one feed everything downloaded directly to your favorite podcast app. You can just look for the Lucha Central Podcast Network show, and we put every single show right there into that feed. Once again, thank you very much. Find me, find us on social media at Masked Republic, M-A-S-K-E-D, Republic, and you can find Lucha Central at Lucha Central or on Twitter at LuchaCentral.com. And until next time, this is Kevin Kleinrock officially signing off.